everybody. Welcome to the Book Leads, Impactful Books for Life and Leadership. I'm your series host and leadership performance coach, John Jermillo. This series is about me getting to uh, the books that my network finds important. So I want to have one-on-one conversations with people about books that have really stood out uh, to who they are or that provide valuable information or insight. Not that they maybe think of, of a daily basis or reread every year, but something that's really contributed to who they are or that they found really interesting that they want to share. So the books can either be books that they have shared with me that I haven't read myself. So they're schooling me on the topic. Uh, the second category is books that we've decided to cover that we've both read. So either we read it before we even got to this conversation separately in our lives, or we decided, okay, we're going to pick up this book, read it and discuss it. Or the third one, books that are being published and written in my in my network. Uh, so I want to get to what it is, what book really stands out. So this particular episode is not one of those, not where I'm going to be interviewing anybody, but it's more about... Um, I think I'm going to have some of these episodes that are thrown in there that kind of speak to something that's happened or triggered some kind of thought that I have about the books um, that I have in my library or something that's come up. Again, this is all on the fly, admittedly. So again, these episodes may come up between those interviews. This one is driven by a picture that I put on, I think, LinkedIn or other social media as well. I think Facebook, where I showed a stack of books that I had next to my computer while I was interviewing somebody. And the reason that I had brought those books, brought them to this interview was that the book that we were reading and discussing, uh, I found, and you'll, you'll see this throughout books that you read. I found that there were certain themes that just tied into different books that I had read. What's great about books is that I don't just read books. My main passion is leadership. I don't just read books about leadership. I read books about different topics. And it's amazing how these different authors, doesn't matter what the theme is, they use different language. They use different perceptions. They use different lenses to come at very similar topics. So the reason I came with this pile of books to this interview was that, uh, there again, there were themes throughout the main book that reminded me of these other books. So the main book we were discussing at that point was Frequency, The Power of Personal Vibration by Penny Pierce. This book has to do with one's energy. And listen, I have the worst memory in the world. I swear all these books were very impactful. Um, and I don't want to go through and look at all the notes that I took and then the margins that I marked up. So I'm just giving a very broad overview of each of these books and, and what I took away and how they all tie into that one particular book I just showed you. Now, frequency is about your own frequency, your energy. And it doesn't mean physical energy. It means like it's almost like the force, all right, for you Star Wars fans and non-Star Wars fans because everybody knows what the force is. But it, it is that life force inside you. That's the way I see it. It's like this wavelength that is your, in the book, it's called home frequency, right? Generally, it speaks to the fact that the issues that we have in life is that we are working with things or surrounding ourselves with things that don't have the same frequency. So we want to maintain a certain level or we want to go higher. It's always good to, to go higher. The lower end... Um, is where it's it's not preferable. You want something that's going to give you more energy, that's going to to raise that frequency, to raise that power, that vibration. What's great about this book is that it breaks it down in such a way 
that is different than anything, than any way that I would have put it, but it's very pertinent because it talks about that energy. Again, not physical. And the reason I find it interesting is that I find that a lot of frustration in myself and in clients, whether it's led to you know sadness, frustration, stress, um, depression, not all of it, but some of it is tied to the fact that we keep ourselves, say your home frequency is at a certain level, we don't reconcile to the right frequencies that kind of benefit us. And it's not just to say that we should take benefit away from the relationship and that's it, that we should try to build what we can where where we're surrounded in our environment, but sometimes it's not going to happen. And when we don't tap into that possibility of that, that frequency, that vibration, that energy, we lose out. So somebody or something can drag you to a lower frequency. Just think of it as lower energy. It kind of just drags it down. It saps your energy. And again, it has nothing to do with walking away if you don't benefit. Um, the book speaks to, you know, you can do your best. You can do what you can. But in the end, it's on you if it's toxic to decide. And everybody has to decide for themselves when is the good time to walk away. So this is very good because it opens up your eyes to what we are as animals. We're not, we're, we're domesticated dogs essentially now, right? Very, very, a very long time ago, we were uh, uncivilized. We were more primal. We depended more on our instincts. We depended more on our senses. We were hunters and gatherers. Every day was a survival. The way that I see it, and it's, it's, no, it's no news, it's not a discovery on my part, but it's just my evolving understanding is just the way that we come into the world on a daily basis, the energy that we have. I mean, you hear certain people talk about priming, you know, that they do that in the morning or whatever it may be for you, whether it's primal priming, like getting worked up or being calm and being meditative, each person has their own thing, but that's what helps you get back to your home frequency, what it is that you need. But going back to that primal thing, it's like, we're, we're, we're programmed to be primal, to react, to use a lot of energy. And I don't think that that has completely left us. And I think that's what causes the friction that leads to frustration. Anxiety is that we're not tapping into that energy of what is programmed into our DNA. So that's that book. And I mean, through some of these books, I'm not going to go into a, a large amount of detail with each of these books today, but um, it, this book tells you how to live among the frequencies. And I'm just reading from the chapter titles, feeling your home frequency. So that's your base frequency. That's the one that everybody has that's unique to them. Mastering relationship resonance, resonating off of relationships. What is it you're looking for? What is it that you can benefit um, with from those relationships? Creating a high frequency life. And again, like I said, like she says in the book, high frequency is better. It's it's kicking up that vibration. It's I think it's bringing you more to life. And again, I'll try to tie in all these similar concepts and ideas are going to tie into these books that I'm going to cover. Um, but that ties a lot into being in flow. I mean, you get to this point where you're doing something or you're in an environment that's so it gives you a high. You um, you are in flow like your body just lets go because you're in your ultimate performative state. You don't have to think about it. You're just going. And it's where you're meant to be. So that's a great book. Uh, I highly recommend that one. The second one that came up or the first one that came up based on just comparing to that first book, The Four Agreements. This one is 
again, and a lot of these books have to do with self-work. The way that I work in leadership, it's a lot of self-work. I've got I've dealt with leaders who want me to tell them what to do with people, how to interact with them, how to communicate with them. It just doesn't work that way. It has to do with a lot of self-work. I think like the last 10% of leadership is the actual communication with the people you're leading because most of what they see, most of what they take away They'll know before you even tell them directly. They're watching you. They're watching your actions. They're watching your actions. They're they're seeing what you're all about. So it benefits you to work on yourself first before showing anything to anybody else. So this next one is The Four Agreements, a Toltec Wisdom book by Don Miguel Ruiz. Here are the chapters. Um, this one has to do with reprogramming yourself. A lot of what I've spoken about or find myself tuning into is just the the amount of programming we've gone through as humans, right? When we were kids, programmed a certain way to think in a certain way, trying to get into that one standard box for uh, one size fits all. And it didn't work for everybody. But because we were programmed to believe that that's what we should have been doing, a lot of us suffered. Uh, we, we started seeing things in a certain way. For instance, failure. Uh, school taught us that if you failed, the technical term of a test, right? If you failed on that, now you've got that word imprinted in your mind. So anytime something doesn't work out, you think you've failed and the rest of the tribe moves on without you. Their grades get better. They go on to the next grade, what have you. But it's already programmed and seared into your head, that failure. And failure is such a bullshit word. It's like, what does it really mean anyway? Um, is somebody running out to say, hi, you're a failure? I mean, it's, it's, incre it's incredible uh, what we've done to ourselves. So this book talks about how you have to reprogram yourself. And it's a very simple book. You know, there's no research in here. There's no big words. There's no long, big sentences. It's just very straightforward of the way that we think, the way that we've been programmed to think, and how we have to reprogram, reprogram ourselves, excuse me, to get back to where we're supposed to be. So because it's titled The Four Agreements, obviously there are four agreements in the book, and each one has its chapter. And here are the four agreements. The, the first agreement, be impeccable with your word. That means like live your truth, say what you're going to do. It's about integrity. Uh, again, making sure that you, I think it's making sure that you're proactive um, with who you are, with integrity. Too many of us kind of react to life and we give up who we are. We give up how we treat other people the right way. Um it is about being love. Um, and it's just making sure that you follow through what I take. I mean, I can only give you my interpretation of it. It's making sure that you follow through, especially on what you're going to say. It's about integrity. And I think society, we lack that a lot. Uh, it can be intentional uh, forgetfulness, like we don't care, or it can just be, we're just so busy that we forget to follow through for other people. The second amendment is don't take anything personally. It's amazing how much we do to ourselves when we think that everybody's out to get us. You know, we take everything personally, that everything's being done to us, where we forfeit control. We tolerate more of that like toxic mentality that it's that everything's against us and it shouldn't be that way. The third agreement, don't make assumptions. It falls in line with uh, don't take anything personally. How much of the stress, how much of the chaos, how much of the unhappiness in our life? is made up of us making assumptions. It's it's insane, it's incredible. Uh, 
if you think back, the good thing about these books is you read them when you're an adult, right? And if you're younger than that, have at it. But me reading it as an adult, I think back to all the situations where I did feel stress, where I may have been depressed, frustrated, sad, what have you. And it's amazing how many times I didn't follow through with my word, that first agreement. I didn't, I did make assumptions. I assumed certain things. I took things personally as that third agreement. The fourth agreement, always do your best. That last one is just, it should be common sense. We forget that we don't have to necessarily measure up in every situation, in every instance to some crazy standard, some crazy quality. We forget that we are a tool ourselves. We're a refined tool of, of life experiences and that we can only do as much as we can. And if we can't, it's because we're not ready. So we can always come back to whatever the situation may be. The next book, The Upside of Stress by Kelly McGonigal, uh, Why Stress is Good for You and How to Get Good at It. This is obviously about stress. And it's a great book because it teaches you that we always look at stress as something to be avoided. Uh, and I'm going to go through the chapters too. Uh, we look at it as something to be avoided at all costs. We exercise to get rid of it, um, which is fine. It's absolutely fine. But we just need to make sure that we understand what that stress is all about. She has a TED Talk on the very same subject. So look that up. Kelly McGonigal under uh, TED Talks. Uh, if she... If she has two, this is definitely one of them. She might have two of them. Uh, but it speaks to stress and how we can use it, that it's meant to be there to protect us, that it's meant to be there to warn us, but not shut us down the way we shut ourselves down with any amount of stress. Now, there are instances, I'm not talking about 70 to 80 hour a week bankers that are burnt out. For me, there's stress. Well, the way that I accept the definition, it's been mentioned um, in several places. To me, there's stress, which is good. And then there's just burnout. Stress is kind of like that weariness. Your mind's kind of on high alert. But burnout is your energy is done. It's, to me, it's a very different thing. So check this book out. Um, if you're curious about how to improve your stress, how to utilize it, I'll just run through the chapter titles just to, so you get a sense of where she's going with it. So part one of the book is Rethink Stress, chapter one, how to change your mind about stress. Chapter two, beyond fight or flight. Again, this goes to that primitive mind that I just spoke about. We're programmed to be emotional. We're programmed to be passionate. And we're, we live in a society where we're civilized, right? The same way we joke about dogs being civilized, domesticated wolves, that's what's happened to us. Um, but we still have that instinct, right? The reptilian brain, which she goes into here and uh, it's covered in frequency as well. It's like that core brain from all those centuries ago, right? And it's about instinct. It's about survival. It's about fight or flight. What you're going to do is either one or the other when things were simple, right? Now they're overcomplicated. Now we're using that same brain when a situation is kind of stressful at home or works a bit stressful, we get stressed out because our body's just programmed to think that a saber tooth is coming after us or whatever, whatever you want to example you want to use. It's probably not even historically accurate. The one that I just gave, but that's, that's where we need to reconcile that we're using this stress from long ago to tackle problems that are very, very, very rarely life or death. So when it's life or death, that's a different kind of, of stress, but in the everyday uh, world of work and leadership and lives and, and personal lives and relationships, 
that should kind of help us tune in to the good stress and figure out what it is we want to do. Here's the next book, Mindset, The New Psychology of Success by Carol Dweck, How We Can Learn to Fulfill Our Potential. This is a seminal book. If you're a reader of any kind of self-help, leadership, management, uh, professional development, anything like that, you'll have heard about that book um, because it has to do with the fixed versus the growth mindset. And that comparison of those two is it's repeated in all different theories and ideas as different things. Um, but it's essentially thinking that all I can do is what I have right now. The information systems thinking is another area where it's similar. The fixed mindset means I just have information right now. I'm going by the information right now, whether I fail or not. And this is all that I'm capable of. This is all that I may need. Okay. Versus the growth mindset or in systems thinking, the mental model, which helps you adapt and evolve. So fixed, fixed mindset means I took a test. I failed. That's it. I'm a failure. Where growth mindset is, okay, I see more that the journey is what it's all about, the development, the growth. So let me just keep going and keep working at it. That there isn't a re an end result. That's the danger is that we look at things in terms of gold. So they're very finite. Um, so check that out. That's a very foundational book. You'll see it cited in a lot of other books, maybe videos, anything that you pay attention to that has to do with uh, development, with learning. And I think a lot of us will kind of gain an insight. And it goes back to that thing where students see that they fail the test and they think that's the end all be all. Because when you're a kid, I mean, that's you have no threshold of, OK, there's life after this. Some may, most don't. But you, you're, you're basing the rest of your, your life at that age. You're like, oh, my God, what does this mean? And you get shut down. So that's the danger. And a lot of this, all of these conversations, all these books that we've covered uh, that I've talked to people about, whether for the series or any other conversations, have a lot to do with going back to childhood and thinking about what it is that impacted us to get us to where we are today. The next book, Late Bloomers, The Power of Patience in a World Obsessed with Early Achievement. I picked this book up. Uh, because I was fascinated by the idea because I'm still someone who doesn't know what I want to do when I grow up. Uh, where I went to college with a lot of people that knew what they wanted to do, and most of them are still in those professions. But it has a lot to do with, wow, how do certain people figure out what they want to do earlier in life, find their calling, find their voice, be comfortable in that voice, be comfortable in, their, in themselves while others don't? That's what this book covers. And let me just go through the chapters. So that's what I was curious about is what does that mean? What does that look like? I mean, I have that feeling that I'm a late bloomer in terms of not being, not thinking like I'm, I'm, I'm finding my calling. It's always evolving where some people are kind of like, this is my profession. This is my role and that's it. Um, so that's why I wanted to read this. So a couple of the chapters, just to get you an idea of the flow of the book, our early bloomer obsession is one, uh, a kinder clock for human development. So I think that one goes into what it, the ideas of what it should be. So we don't put that pressure on, on ourselves. I mean, especially with social media, you hear it all the time. Don't compare your chapter one to somebody's chapter 20. Um, we, we get a sense of that comparison. And the thing is, I always say, and I repeat, is comparison is natural. Comparison is normal. Comparison should happen. 
Because if you don't compare yourself to the other people in your tribe, how do you get better? And yes, you can say, I should only compete with myself. Yes, of course. But you should be looking around to see the tools that other people have. What are they taking on? Um, and go from there. It's never from an unhealthy standpoint, meaning, oh my God, I just don't compare. It should be, okay, where can I adjust based on what I see? Create your own healthy culture. So that that mindset, that belief that everybody has to figure everybody has it figured out early. I don't. So that can lead to toxicity. Uh, slow to grow, repot yourself in a better garden. What's great about that is it teaches you or brings to mind, and maybe you've already achieved that later in your life, right? Maybe you share that same frustration I did where I didn't find my calling till later in life. I didn't feel like I was comfortable in my skin till later in life. But this one is also like the frequency book in that it talks about if you don't find what you need, and granted, you're always evolving. If you don't find what you need in one particular area, check out what's outside just beyond the border. Because again, we play the cards that were dealt and the the majority of our frustrations is that we do that. We stick around for what we're what we're dealt, and we're not building beyond that. We're not going out to see what's out there for us. So that's a great book as well. This one, the subtle art, right? Of not giving a fuck. A counterintuitive approach to living a good life. This one, obviously, I'm a caveman. Oh my god, it's orange. It stands out, and it's they're cursing. So automatically i'm like all right that's a good copy over 1 million copies sold number number 1 new york times bestseller but it is a great book because i think a lot of the decisions we make are driven by our concern about how we're viewed what other people might think um and we may know we may learn we may understand uh and get to that point where we see that what other people think doesn't matter Meaning we're not going to disrespect them um, and we want our bosses to like us. So we get our jobs and we get our raises and whatnot. So in that same vein, it has to do with giving a fuck about the things that matter, prioritizing the things that matter, where we're obsessed with the things that really don't matter. So let me just, this is another great book that I, I recommend just because it's just a simple, it's like the four agreements where it's just a very simple walkthrough. That's the best thing about those, particularly those two books is like how very well it walks you through that mindset. You may think this, but consider this and so on and so forth. Um, so let me just give you a couple of the chapter titles and their themes. So chapter one, don't try. Chapter two, happiness is a problem. That one, even though I have a shit memory, that one I, I do remember because it talks about how seeking, paying attention to the things that we don't have just takes away from us being happy, that we focus on the wrong things. So that's that's a great chapter. Um, chapter three, you are not special. Again, it's it's one of those things where it's like, uh, it's like the four agreements where it says, don't take anything personally. It's almost like get over yourself, that kind of attitude. It's much more creative, much more productive than I outlined here. But um, it's very much introspective and says, you know, be careful of how you look at yourself when you move forward. Um, maybe, maybe about the expectation you have of yourself before you move forward. Again, very introspect introspective. Chapter four, the value of suffering. Suffering has value. 
um, <clears throat> when you fail, when you hit rock bottom, when you haven't made it to where you wanted to, <sighs> there's such a danger in making making any of this sound like a cliche or lending your voice to a cliche, like failure is important. Although I think the word failure is bullshit, the idea that people have of what failure is, not succeeding, that's all it is, is not succeeding. There's a benefit to that, but it's a benefit that you have to pick up yourself. So are you picking it up? Are you learning from what you didn't achieve? Do you still want that particular thing? So suffering is very important because it teaches you where your boundaries are. It teaches you where your, your pressure markers are, like how deeply you can get pushed and what you have to do to improve. Chapter five, you are always choosing, meaning like you're always in control, like how you respond to things. Chapter six, you're wrong about everything. And he says, but so am I. Um, and that's based on, again, making assumptions, your beliefs. Failure is the way forward. Chapter seven, we talked about that. The importance of saying no, rejection makes your life better. How to build trust, freedom through commitment. Chapter nine, and then you die. Something beyond ourselves. So it, it, I like that it talks about death. I, I like that it talks about what we're looking for in life, what we're really getting out of life. It doesn't tell you what you should look for in life. It just told. It just shares with you a way to consider how it is you look at your life. No one, none of these books I'm going to tell you is going to have the secret. Is going to have the tip. Um, it's going to have. It's not going to have any of that. They are just different ways of thinking. They they put it in a different way. Each author has their different voice. And there may be one of these that resonates with you, regardless of which one you pick up. It's, it's going to be powerful. As an introvert, yes, I am an introvert, um, maybe a recovering introvert. I've been told that, no, you're not an introvert because you can sit there and talk with people for hours. Yes, if I'm passionate about something. And that's that's a huge difference. And that's something that I didn't understand. What's what's unfortunate for introverts is that we spent so much time maybe being introverts without really knowing what it was. You know, it's it's only really coming out in what the last decade, maybe, what an introvert is, the benefits of the drawbacks. Um what what it means and again this is another book where you read it and then you look back at your life and you're like okay as an introvert yes i had these experiences maybe back then i thought it was a drawback but no this is the way that i should think of it so this is like out of the ones that i've read and there's another one that i read on introversion that she she endorses this author susan kane endorses and the subtle art is by mark manson and late bloomer sorry by rich Carlgard. Quiet Susan Kane uh, is the author. Um, yeah, as I, I can't speak enough about this, it provides great insight into the power of, it says the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking. In our environments, we know people that are that we believe are introverts. Because I've said for myself, I've written about it actually in um, a book that came out this summer. Um, the 10 secrets to success after graduation. My chapter was on building relationships and I speak about it in there, the importance of relationships and how I am just more observant than most, not everybody, but my power is just observation. Uh, and it stems from my quiet. The quiet is what I call the triad of quiet, which is shy, introverted, and not confident. Those things may seem interchangeable to people. So, but they're not. 
shy and and I'm on the fly here. Um, confident means you're not you're not quite sure of your tools. You're not quite sure of of what your place is. Shy is that energy. Like maybe you are scared of what's out there, or you're you don't want to speak up because you are scared. And then introversion is that you just get more. If you are outgoing, excuse me, it drains you more. So that one is a matter of energy. So those are very three, very three, very different things. The triad of quiet, the quiet, as I call it, lack of confidence, introversion, and shyness. But this one speaks to the introversion. So the energy-based one, and it's a good-sized book. Um, and let me just go very briefly through the chapters so you get a sense of of what it covers. Uh, let's see the myth of charismatic leadership. Well, part one of the book is the extrovert ideal. So she goes through this idea or observation that the world is about extroverts, that those are the ones that mostly stand out. Those are the ones that get the most attention. And listen, as an introvert, I have nothing against pure extroverts because I'm not a pure introvert, but even if I was, I have nothing against extroverts at all. We're just programmed differently. This is nice because it provides kind of a map of how you can understand yourself, what you went through, what you saw, how you felt. Um, and again, she writes most of this from the viewpoint of an introvert. So when collaboration kills creativity, she, she speaks to that. Um, let's see. Beyond temperament, the role of free will and the secret of public speaking for introverts. So she gives good examples of how to work on yourself in certain situations, in certain circumstances, uh, that there's soft power. That's what that's that falls under uh, part three. Do all cultures have an extrovert ideal? Part four: How to love, how to work. So, all of this. If you've ever been an introvert, again, if you've ever been, because I don't consider myself a full introvert anymore. Um, but if you've ever had those introvert, introverted, introverted or introversion tendency tendencies jesus christ tendencies check that book out uh it explains a lot and it can provide insight and listen even though we're this far in life i'm assuming you're as old as i am uh even if we're this far in life we can read these books that outline things that have happened to us in the past it doesn't mean that we don't have time to make adjustments going forward it's not to say that wherever you are uh is not where you want to be it just means that if you can learn a tool from one of these books that kind of tweaks your thinking to make you happier, to make you more productive, to make you more proactive in your life, there's no harm in it. Even if the book is completely different from who you are, what you are, at least you gain insight into the other side and what they're all about. This next one, The Obstacle is the Way, The Timeless Art of Turning Trials into Triumph by Ryan Holiday. Um this is another one that has to do with those obstacles. So it has to do with what you take away from the obstacles. Uh, it speaks more to, if I believe, because I haven't read this in a while, it speaks more to the logic, the modeling of getting through obstacles um, where we may default to emotion, we may default to passion, and that's what gets us in trouble. Um, but here's just a couple of the chapters, right? And this gives you just the way they're broken down. I mean, every book is so different in how they title their chapters. But this one is The Discipline of Perception and just with my commentary in between. But that's about, you know, really looking at what's there. I think a lot of people shut down when they hit an obstacle. They retreat. It's our default. 
But this is about really perceiving what's there. Recognize your power is another one. How often do we really do that? Steady your nerves, control your emotions, practice objectivity. Again, that goes back to the other books that say, forget what's out there for now. Look at the situation as is. Don't make assumptions. Don't take anything personally. Don't berate yourself or whatnot. Look at it as objectively as possible. This one, I mean, I might read all the chapter titles. Okay, maybe not. There's a lot of them. But <clears throat> live in the present moment. Think differently. Finding the opportunity. Prepare to act. See, this is based on um, Stoic philosophy. So, you know, the big cat in that is uh, Marcus Aurelius. This really has to do with, you know, it's it's very tactical. So the difference here is it's telling you, put the emotion aside. Let's determine how to attack. So another, the second part is action, the discipline of action, practice persistence, follow the process, do your job, do it right. In praise of the flank attack. So there it talks about tactics, the way that you look at something, channel your energy. So it's very prescriptive in that it walks you through how you should think about it in segments. Part three, will, the discipline of will, build your inner, inner citadel. The art of acquiescence, love everything that happens. So it's very much, you know, there's there's a lot of instinct in us that wants to run, wants to fight or get stressed out. Stress is not a bad thing. Remember, upside of stress. But this is another consideration to have. So this talks about how to meet your obstacles that um, it speaks to it much like um, the subtle art where the importance of suffering. So there's importance of hitting a wall. There's importance to hitting it. And very cliche, again, um, life is not what happens to you, but how you relate to it. That's what this book says. So you may be hit with the most horrific things and there'll be circumstances just on how bad they are. But for the most part, it has to do with, okay, how are you going to react? Don't just, don't just run away. How are you going to think about this? Let's think about it strategically. So that's a great book. I highly recommend that one as well. Again, it complements all like the energy or frequency, the, the four agreements, thinking about yourself, the way that you were programmed, the obstacles, the way it talks about the obstacle in front of you. And all of these books, again, tap into frequency. Maybe I didn't go into it with uh, late bloomers. Frequency talked about how some people figure out their frequency um, later than others. Uh, the subtle art, meaning you have to do for frequency, the way she covered it was you have to do what you need to do. You have to pick and choose how you decide what's going to give or take energy from you. Uh, Susan Kane, introversion. So she speaks, obviously, you can imagine, as I spoke to my introversion as being a matter of energy, she talks about introversion and frequency as well. And the obstacles, the way the obstacles, the way is funny because when I was reading frequency, I made I made a note in the margins that it was opposite of what the obstacle is the way. I think she mentions the Stoics. So she mentions how, I forget how she puts it, something to the effect of, you know, and if you think about it like a Stoic, you just think about the plan and not like the energy and the emotion. So look at that. I mean, it's it's they're coming from two different places. They want the same goal what's the hurt in reading about both of them? I see value to both of those, whether it's monitoring my energy and making sure that I can meet the occasion 
And then in The Obstacles of the Way, he also speaks about energy. But that one I picked because she cited the Stoics as not dangerous, but that what she was speaking about was different from them because she was coming from more of an energy and emotional um, background or foundation. Two more books. This one I read, Breathe, The New Science of a Lost Art. And it has to do with literally breathing. And it's by James Nestor. And it has to do with breathing. Uh, and it plays into all these books uh, because it talks about, or it helps, it guides in anything meditative, introspection, calming down, coming back to your core, finding your home frequency. So this is a physiological guide or supplemental guide to everything you do in these other books, whatever you choose to take away. We forget to breathe. I'm somebody that's that's dealt with anxiety in the past. Literally, you have to remember to breathe. Uh, and there are exercises in this book. And it's, it's interesting because I tried some of them. It's crazy that it goes into why we're screwed. I'll just, this is the one thing that really stands out about this book. That our breathing is so messed up because our food is not as rough as it used to be. And I'm paraphrasing completely here. But he's saying because the food is softer than when we were primal, our, our skulls are forming differently. They're evolving differently. Whereas before, when everything was tougher that we were eating, um, it was working the skull in such a way that our breathing was better. Um, I believe I may be butchering that. I don't know. Or that I, it, may, it may be the other way. I, I completely forget, but um, it, it stood out that our breathing has evolved. It may be that, that we were meant to, we were meant to, um, to, to eat tougher food. In any case, don't go by my memory, go by, if you're curious about your breathing, the importance of breathing, how to breathe correctly. There's a lot of studies cited in it. Uh, the author himself goes through a, um, an exercise. This I remember clearly. He, he's part of a study, he and another friend of his that's come over from an in international institution. And they spend, I think, 10 days with their, essentially it's that you have to breathe through your nose. And he goes into why. And he goes into why breathing through your mouth is bad. And he goes through like a 10-day experiment where he tapes his nose closed and only breathes through his mouth. If you try to do it for 10 seconds, even 10 minutes, you'll, you'll see the difference. And then he goes through another 10 days where he breathes through just his, his nose. So I, don't, I forget if he tapes his mouth closed. Or, but the health aspects of breathing completely through your nose blow away completely breathing through your mouth. Uh, and it's crazy the results he saw. Again, this is the physiological book in this in this uh, in this stack of books, but uh, it complements the need to kind of reset and really think about what we should be doing. So, at our core, we should be breathing, we should be relaxing, so on and so forth. The last book I have is Flow. So, and this is by oh, I'm going to butcher this name. I remember <laughs> Mikhali Sik. Oh, I'm not even. No, I'm not going to try that. Uh, I had it when uh, <laughs> when I read the book. Uh, they walk you through the pronunciation. Um, Michaeli six and uh, I'm not even going to try. In any case, this one I tie into this this group of books because of the importance of flow 
and flow is you'll probably remember when I spoke about frequency. She says you have your home frequency, which is a certain level of of waves of 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 wave frequency, and you want to get to a higher level of of wave frequency. So anything that you see in your environment, any person, any situation that kind of makes you jump up to that higher level is better for you. It's more in tune. It's almost like you get more excited. It taps more into who you are. If you go lower, it kind of saps you. You're not, for me, you're not harnessing the energy that you should be harnessing. She mentions flow. She mentions this book in that book because flow is essentially, if you ever saw, <laughs> if you ever saw um, Old School, the movie with Will Ferrell, and he's at the debate. And this is the first thing that comes to mind any anytime I think of flow, where he's at the debate and he's like, you know, I'll take this question. And then he starts talking in a manner that he never talked like or in in the in the in the movie itself. He was always like a blubbering idiot. And then he just steps up and he just answers this uh articulate, gives this articulate response in this debate. And then at the end, he's like, What happened? You know, I blacked out. What happened? That is the best example for me of flow. Uh, flow for me is when you find what you're supposed to be doing. That's very general. But to me, it's like when you're doing the right thing, when you're firing on all cylinders, when it doesn't seem like work, when you're just going. For me, my flow, I find some flow in coaching sessions because I'm just, I just, I'm all in. To me, flow means that I'm not anywhere else. I'm completely in what I'm doing. So I had spoken about my anxiety. So I'm always thinking about something else. I'm always thinking about um, other things. But in certain times, in certain things that I'm doing, whatever I'm doing, I'm completely in. And a few examples is um, photography. When I'm doing photography, when I'm taking pictures, that was... I used to do it a lot more, but when I was out with my camera, uh, with my buddy, Rob, or we'd go throughout Connecticut or we'd go down to the city and just shoot all day, just shoot all day, never print any other stuff, maybe get some good stuff. Um, it was just something like nothing could touch me. It was completely therapeutic. I was just in my flow. Didn't mean I was good at it, but I was in my flow in that I was, I was just engrossed in it. Um, Coaching is much the same way. Like I feel like I'm I'm at my highest level of performance. I'm at my highest frequency when I'm, you know, giving that back and forth with a coachee, with a client, and seeing their eyes light up with new opportunities, with new possibilities, with new mindsets that come from that conversation, that banter back and forth. Um, so what is it that you have? What is it that you have that gives you flow that it doesn't matter what you, whatever you're doing, you're completely engrossed in and, uh, you're not really thinking about anything else and you're just performing. And I refer to that old school clip with Will Ferrell, because at the end, you're just like, when you step out of it, it, and there's really no way he talks about that in the book. There's really no way to get into it. You can't really say, okay, I'm now going to flow. Um, you may know what gives you flow and you start doing it, hoping that it happens. Uh, it's hard to initiate. It just kind of happens. So again, if you have an idea that, okay, photography will do it for me, working with a session with a coach, uh, a client will do it for me, 
this actually does it for me. So when people ask me, listen, you're an introvert. How the hell can you speak in front of crowds of hundreds? How can you speak to a camera for, I'm up to like 45 minutes now. That's ridiculous. But that's when I'm in flow, when I'm just discussing, when I'm doing something that I'm passionate about. So one of my criteria is I got to be passionate about it and it helps for anybody. So those are all the books, um, nine books in total. When I post this, wherever I post it, whether it's on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, I will list the books and the authors. Uh, I apologize for having butchered some of them. Again, I'm not going to lie. My memory is shit. Most of these are marked up in the margins. For this, I didn't go back and read through my notes, but they're just certain things that stand out as worth highlighting when it comes to this set of books and that first book, Frequency, about that energy and, and what you need to find in the world. Long story short, we forget how much we should be doing for ourselves, um, whether it is your frequency for agreements, reprogramming yourself, stress, how are you dealing with it? Um, mindset, are you in the fixed mindset? Or are you in the growth mindset? So the scarcity versus abundance, information versus like um, the mental model. What can I make of this information? Information, somebody gives you information, you're just locked into that. But they need you need a mental model to build off of that. Uh, late bloomers, if you feel like, and we're not talking about physically late blooming, we're talking about calling. We're talking about any, actually, you know what? If it is for you, physical or whatever, late blooming, late bloomers, um, there's a reason you still have worth, you still have time. So even if you read this book now and it resonates with you, it's not too late to make the most of the life you have left. Subtle art of not giving a fuck. Um, it just means give an F about what you really, and I don't know why I'm censoring myself. Care about what is important. And very rarely do we prioritize, really prioritize. We're always in reactive mode. Um, and I find with clients that very rarely do they proactively list what's important to them. So make sure you know what's important to you. Quiet, I mean, that's for the more for the introverts out there, but even extroverts, if you're curious, if you want to learn about people around you, pick up that book. It'll give you good insight into what the other side sees. So it doesn't necessarily mean they're not confident. It doesn't necessarily mean they're not shy. You know, that quiet that I went back to, um, of which introversion is a part, but it helps us understand each other. The obstacle is the way. Again, if you have an issue, look at it tactically. Our first instinct is to be emotional and run. This book kind of walks through you, walks you through how to look at it tactically, how to look at it like calmly with a model pragmatically. So check that out. Breathe again. The physiological book in this in this category talks about your body. Again, that thing with the teeth, I may have messed up, but um, it just shows that our diet, because our our diet gets softer, we're not working our nostrils, we're not working our skull correctly. We're not breathing correctly. We don't have room. I think because we, I'm still trying to sort it out. I think because we were, our diet was more raw or was raw, period, in primal days, it kept our skull wider because we had to like really gnaw at our food, which kept our nasal cavities wider and allowed us to breathe. But because we're soft now, more towards soft foods, not as much raw, if any. Now our, our, our palates are shrinking, our nostrils are closing in, and that's why we're having a hard time breathing. Nailed it. That's exactly what it was. If you find out different, let me know. Uh, and flow. 
I mean, what do you find in your life that gives you flow? This comes back to stuff I've posted on uh, social media about social media, hobbies, leisure. What do you do that is for you, that makes you happy for you? I don't think it's really for flow necessarily if you're doing something to share with other people. Granted, yes, photography. But with photography, I, I could give the example that you're, you're, you're enraptured in what you're doing in the moment. And if it's good enough, you share with other people. But flow is like, what is it for you that puts you in that in that state where you black out and you're just on cruise control? Um, so yeah, those are the books that tie into frequency. So I just want to give that breakdown of that picture that I posted on social media. Uh, I'm always looking for good books to, to discuss, to talk about. So please let me know. Um, and yeah, subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening, wherever you're watching. Anything you need, reach out, let me know. Um, I want to do as much as I can to learn about my community. You're part of that community too. Only reach out whenever you want. Uh, you only have to reach out to to get that conversation going with me if you want to sit down about a book or can refer me to somebody that wants to talk about uh, a book. So thank you so much for listening and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care.